Section 43 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter 71 London, May 22nd, Old Style, 1749 Dear Boy, I recommended to you in my last an innocent piece of art, that of flattering people behind their backs, in presence of those who, to make their own court, much more than for your sake, will not fail to repeat and even amplify the praise to the party concerned. This is, of all flattery, the most pleasing, and consequently the most effectual. There are other, and many other, inoffensive arts of this kind, which are necessary in the course of the world, in which he who practices the earliest will please the most, and rise the soonest. The spirits and vivacity of youth are apt to neglect them as useless, or reject them as troublesome. But subsequent knowledge and experience of the world reminds us of their importance, commonly when it is too late. The principle of these things is the mastery of one's temper, and that coolness of mind, and serenity of countenance, which hinders us from discovering by words, actions, or even looks, those passions or sentiments by which we are inwardly moved or agitated, and the discovery of which gives cooler and abler people such infinite advantages over us, not only in great business, but in all the most common occurrences of life. A man who does not possess himself enough to hear disagreeable things without visible marks of anger and change of countenance, or agreeable ones without sudden bursts of joy and expansion of countenance, is at the mercy of every artful knave or pert coxcomb. The former will provoke or please you by design, to catch unguarded words or looks by which he will easily decipher the secrets of your heart, of which you should keep the key yourself, and trust it with no man living. The latter will, by his absurdity, and without intending it, produce the same discoveries of which other people will avail themselves. You will say, possibly, that this coolness must be constitutional, and consequently does not depend upon the will. And I will allow that constitution has some power over us. But I will maintain, too, that people very often, to excuse themselves, very unjustly accuse their constitutions. Care and reflection, if properly used, will get the better, and a man may as surely get a habit of letting his reason prevail over his constitution, as of letting, as most people do, the latter prevail over the former. If you find yourself subject to sudden starts of passion or madness, for I see no difference between them but in their duration, resolve within yourself at least, never to speak one word while you feel that emotion within you. Determine, too, to keep your countenance as unmoved and unembarrassed as possible, which steadiness you may get a habit of by constant attention. I should desire nothing better, in any negotiation, than to have to do with one of those men of warm, quick passions, which I would take care to set in motion. By artful provocations I would exhort rash, unguarded expressions, and by hinting at the several things that I could suspect, infallibly discover the true one, by the alteration it occasioned in the countenance of the person. Volto sciolto con pensieri stretti is a most useful maxim in business, it is so necessary at some games, such as Berlin Cannes, etc., that a man who had not the command of his temper and countenance would infallibly be outdone by those who had, even though they played fair. Whereas in business you always play with sharpers, to whom at least you should give no fair advantages. It may be objected that I am now recommending dissimulation to you. I both own and justify it. It has been long said, qui nesset dissimulare nesset regnare. I go still further and say, that without some dissimulation no business can be carried on at all. It is simulation that is false, mean and criminal. That is the cunning which Lord Bacon calls crooked or left-handed wisdom, 
and which is never made use of but by those who have not true wisdom. And the same great man says, that dissimulation is only to hide our own cards, whereas simulation is put on, in order to look into other people's. Lord Bolingbroke, in his Idea of a Patriot King, which he has lately published, and which I will send you by the first opportunity, says very justly that simulation is a stiletto, not only an unjust but an unlawful weapon, and the use of it very rarely to be excused, never justified. Whereas dissimulation is a shield, as secrecy is armor, and it is no more possible to preserve secrecy in business without some degree of dissimulation than it is to succeed in business without secrecy. He goes on and says that those two arts of dissimulation and secrecy are like the alloy mingled with pure ore. A little is necessary, and will not debase the coin below its proper standard. But if more than a little be employed, that is, simulation and cunning, the coin loses its currency, and the coiner his credit. Make yourself absolute master, therefore, of your temper and your countenance, so far at least as that no visible change do appear in either, whatever you may feel inwardly. This may be difficult, but it is by no means impossible, and as a man of sense never attempts impossibilities on one hand, on the other he is never discouraged by difficulties. On the contrary, he redoubles his industry and his diligence. He perseveres, and infallibly prevails at last. In any point which prudence bids you pursue, and which a manifest utility attends, let difficulties only animate your industry, not deter you from the pursuit. If one way has failed, try another. Be active, persevere, and you will conquer. Some people are to be reasoned, some flattered, some intimidated, and some teased into a thing. But in general, all are to be brought into it at last, if skillfully applied to, properly managed, and indefatigably attacked in their several weak places. The time should likewise be judiciously chosen. Every man has his molia tempora, but that is far from being all day long and you would choose your time very ill, if you applied to a man about one business, when his head was full of another, or when his heart was full of grief, anger, or any other disagreeable sentiment. In order to take judge of the insides of others, study your own, for men in general are very much alike, and though one has one prevailing passion, and another has another, yet their operations are much the same, and whatever engages or disgusts, pleases or offends you, in others will, mutatis mutandis, engage, disgust, please, or offend others in you. Observe with the utmost attention all the operations of your own mind, the nature of your passions, and the various motives that determine your will, and you may, in a great degree, know all mankind. For instance, do you find yourself hurt and mortified when another makes you feel his superiority, and your own inferiority, in knowledge, parts, rank, or fortune? You will certainly take great care not to make a person whose good will, good word, interest, esteem, or friendship you would gain, feel that superiority in you, in case you have it. If disagreeable insinuations, sly sneers, or repeated contradictions tease and irritate you, would you use them where you wish to engage and please? Surely not, and I hope you wish to engage and please almost universally. The temptation of saying a smart and witty thing, or bon mot, and the malicious applause with which it is commonly received, has made people who can say them, and still oftener people who think they can, but cannot, and yet try, more enemies, and implacable ones too, than any one thing that I know of. When such things, then, shall happen to be said at your expense, as sometimes they certainly will, reflect seriously upon the sentiments of uneasiness, anger, and resentment which they excite in you, 
and consider whether it can be prudent, by the same means, to excite the same sentiments in others against you. It is a decided folly to lose a friend for a jest, but in my mind it is not much less degree of folly to make an enemy of an indifferent and neutral person for the sake of a bon mot. When things of this kind happen to be said of you, the most prudent way is to seem not to suppose that they are meant at you, but to dissemble and conceal whatever degree of anger you may feel inwardly. But should they be so plain that you cannot be supposed ignorant of their meaning, to join in the laugh of the company against yourself, acknowledge the hit to be a fair one, and the jest a good one, and play off the whole thing in seeming good humour, but by no means reply in the same way, which only shows that you are hurt, and publishes the victory which you might have concealed. Should the thing said, indeed, injure your honour or moral character, there is but one proper reply, which I hope you will never have occasion to make. As the female part of the world has some influence, and often too much, over the male, your conduct with regard to women, I mean women of fashion, for I cannot suppose you capable of conversing with any others, deserve some share in your reflections. They are a numerous and loquacious body. Their hatred would be more prejudicial than their friendship can be advantageous to you. A general complacence and attention to that sex is therefore established by custom, and certainly necessary. But where you would particularly please any one, whose situation, interest, or connections can be of use to you, you must show particular preference. The least attentions please, the greatest charm them. The innocent but pleasing flattery of their persons, however gross, is greedily swallowed and kindly digested. But a seeming regard for their understandings, a seeming desire of, and deference for their advice, together with a seeming confidence in their moral virtues, turns their heads entirely in your favour. Nothing shocks them so much as the least appearance of that contempt, which they are apt to suspect men of entertaining of their capacities, and you may be very sure of gaining their friendship if you seem to think it worth gaining. Here dissimulation is very often necessary, and even simulation sometimes allowable, which, as it pleases them, may be useful to you, and is injurious to nobody. This torn sheet, which I did not observe when I began upon it, as it alters the figure, shortens too the length of my letter. It may very well afford it. My anxiety for you carries me insensibly to these lengths. I am apt to flatter myself that my experience, at the latter end of my life, may be of use to you at the beginning of yours, and I do not grudge the greatest trouble, if it can procure you the least advantage. I even repeat frequently the same things, the better to imprint them on your young, and, I suppose, yet giddy mind, and I shall think that part of my time the best employed, that contributes to make you employ yours well. God bless you, child. End of section 43. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.